0: Welcome back to Wellness Inc. I'm Dr. Mike Moreno taking a deep dive into all things wellness after over 25 years of practicing medicine. I'm fascinated with anything and everything that can help you feel better, live healthier, and become the best you possible. I'll be interviewing the most cutting edge experts in the field of wellness and exploring new innovative technologies to help you live your best life. At the end of each episode, I'll give you my weekly Rx, My top tips for you to use right away. Remember to subscribe for free, rate and review my podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We have an important show for you today, straight from the front lines of COVID-19. I know we're all tired of hearing that phrase. It's January 2021, the start of a new year, and we're still in the middle of this global pandemic. Hopefully light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, but right now we're having and experiencing some serious surge in cases and uh, we have just the right person. We're so fortunate with us today to give us the latest information we need to take care of ourselves and the people we love. Dr. Raj Gupta is four times board certified, which let me tell you is a lot of work, my friend, uh, in internal medicine, pulmonary, critical care and sleep. We're gonna talk about all of this stuff. He has his own series of medical books called Beyond the Pearls. You may know him from being a regular on the doctor's television show for seven seasons or from being co-host on Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry. He has his own podcast called The Dr. Raj Show, appropriately so, which you should check out if you haven't already. His passion is teaching and he is an associate professor at USC, right now working on the front lines in the area of pulmonary critical care, dealing directly with life and death situations every day. Welcome to the show, Dr. Raj Dasgupta.
1: Oh, thank you, Mike. And I got to tell you, that was one of the best intros. I don't know how many times you practiced it, but I mean, it was... I got to tell you, I'm jealous. I hope I can record that and replay it over and over again. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I I really, truly appreciate it.
0: Thanks for being here. And uh, listen, I want to get right into this because, uh, you know, I've been practicing medicine for 22-ish years I have a lot of dear, dear friends in the ICU, uh, both nurses and staffing and, uh, you know, anybody and everybody, you know, we tend to think of nurses and doctors, but we don't even think about sometimes the ancillary staff, people who clean these rooms, people who, I mean, being in an ER in an ICU setting right now is a scary, scary thing. Tell us, uh, before we even get into that, why don't, a lot of our listeners are probably like, what exactly is pulmonary critical care? I think you could probably get an idea, but why don't you just
1: spend a minute or two talking about what that is? Sure. So, you know, pulmonary is the lungs, you know, and and that's my passion to help you breathe, to get that oxygen right into the bloodstream and get it to the tissues that need it. That's going to be a pulmonologist. What diseases do I see? Well, let me throw out some common names. How about COPD? don't smoke anyone. What about asthma and allergies? You know, and now one of my passions is pulmonary fibrosis, which goes underdiagnosed. But of course, when we talk about COVID-19, it affects every organ in the body, but the number one organ most commonly involved has to be the lungs. And that's why I'm going to be involved with that. When I mentioned critical care, well, that's where the sickest patients in the hospital are, are going to be. And right now, anytime you turn on the news, what do we say? The ICUs are at capacity, and that is the truth. And people in the ICUs are on these ventilators. And I got to tell you, when we lead to that part of the conversation, if you want me to start crying on your podcast, talk about people on the ventilators. And that's why many lung doctors do critical care, because patients need that assistance to breathe. And I would say now, more than any time in my life, I am so proud I trained in that subspecialty, because it is truly an honor and scary to help out in this pandemic right now.
0: So I can't imagine when you uh, went into your particular in the ICU and working as an ICU doctor, which is just, uh, it has to be the most stressful thing ever, that you ever imagined you would see what you're seeing now. I, I mean, what are you seeing right now when you put on that lab coat and you hang that stethoscope around your neck and walk into that ward? I cannot imagine what goes through your mind.
1: Well, you know, if you were to ask me this question in the beginning of the pandemic and right now, my response is always going to change. You know, in the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, I was scared. You know, this is the first time I've experienced, you know, a, a virus that we have very limited knowledge about that you hear is infecting everyone. It's killing people. And you're just going to walk into that room. Yeah. So there was a, a lot of just anxiety right there. And then, you know, right now, if you were to ask me the question, I think the first word out of my mouth is going to be just, I'm humbled because during this whole year, every time we try to get ahead of the virus, we think we solved the Rubik's Cube, we didn't. Every time we thought we had a drug that was going to be the magic bullet, we don't. And it always makes me appreciate the science behind trying to get the right answer and and teamwork. And I think, you know, Mike, you brought it up earlier is that it really isn't just the doctor. I've never appreciated all the people around me that make me a better person. My nurses, the people who clean the room, the respiratory therapist, the pharmacist. And when we talk about ICUs at capacity, it's not just the literal bed, it's the people who are so fatigued that I have to keep pushing. So yes, I'm honored. Yes, I'm privileged. And I will, I have to give a shout out to my amazing medical residents, my internal medicine residents, and my pulmonary critical care fellows, all of those, they kick ass. They're hardworking and they definitely deserve some credit. God, I'll tell you right now, I can imagine
0: if you're an intern coming out of, you know, coming out of med school, right? You're just bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you're now an intern. Talk about the worst timing ever. I can't imagine, Uh, you know, I think what fascinates me is and you kind of commented on this when you go back and look at how we were managing patients in April versus how we're managing them now, never before have we seen such an evolution in both disease presence and management and treatment in, in nine months. I mean, what are your thoughts on what, you know, traditionally you're like, O2 sat should be this. You can't imagine letting a patient walk out on this. Yet we're watching guys walking around having perfect conversations, satting in in the seventies. Like it must be like
1: weird to you, right? (laughs) No, Mike, you know, I've never seen someone in a room, you know, on their cell phone and their oxygen saturation is going to be in the eighties and only now during this pandemic, but you know what? There are some things we are doing right. And one of the big things was during the, when the pandemic started, You know, patients needed to go on that mechanical ventilator. And I could tell you that that was one of the things I wish we could take back a little bit because of the fact that once you're on that mechanical ventilator, it it's just scary. You're gonna be isolated from your family, you're gonna be on that ventilator for weeks, if not even months. We need to use medications that will keep you sedate and calm. And it's, it's horrible. But now as we've learned more, we have better techniques to help prevent throwing people on the ventilator right away. And now probably the biggest claim to fame is putting patients on their stomach. We call that the prone position. And this is something you could do at home, something you can tell your family and friends to do if they unfortunately get COVID. And these are ways that, you know, we've, we knew about this putting them on their stomach prone position from other diseases in the past, but it works so well for our COVID patients. We don't know why, but we've learned newer techniques to help prevent putting patients on the ventilator. And let me just say one more thing about medications that out of all the medications we've been trying throughout this pandemic, who knew that the best medication will be an old medication we've been using for a long time, which are steroids. And we had a study that showed it improved survival in our sick patients. So I'm gonna say that we're on the right track doing some good things. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks.
0: You know, it's interesting because instinctively, I remember in April, um, and, and you kind of talked about this a little before, many viruses have a predilection towards different body parts organ systems, whatever we may see. I I think it's fair to assume that a good majority of them have a pulmonary impact, the respiratory Mm -hmm. system. It's an inflammatory process. We talk about inflammation throughout the body for multiple disease states. I I find it interesting that this bug comes in, basically creates chaos. It's it's like inviting 10 five-year-olds into your house and letting them run around and destroy everything. And then you have (laughs) to put it back together. So tell us what it was like to kind of you know, been taught these things all your life. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, we're supposed to do this and we're supposed to do this. And now you're changing what you're doing. Is it is it kind of an odd thing to to sort of you're, you're going back and almost relearning your profession in a sense?
1: Oh yes, I mean, but that, you know that's the part of being a doctor. I'm sure you're the same way, Dr. Mike, it's lifelong learning. It's, you know, knowing what, to admit that when you don't know something. And, you know, even when after this pandemic is starting to go in a good direction, Trust me, there's going to be COVID clinics. They're going to be what we call the long haulers. I'm already getting some of these questions about, hey, I have this brain fog that doesn't go away. I have this fatigue that doesn't leave me. I have some muscle aches. What are my lungs looking like now? They told me I had COVID pneumonia. Are my lungs okay? So this is a whole different podcast and conversation talking about what's going to happen down the line. And we need to learn more about it. But you know, in the hospital right now, I think the biggest thing that changed the game in our favor was that we realized there's no organ that's spared with covid it affects the heart it can give you heart failure it can cause arrhythmias it can cause clotting in the body in the arteries in the veins and you know what's scary this clotting can happen after you leave the hospital so things that i normally would not order normally would not think about you got to think about it right now so you know what I think that this is going to be something that really changed the way we approach medicine, the way we approach being in the hospital. And I think for an educational standpoint, it's a good thing, not a bad thing.
0: I think one of the most interesting things to me, I was talking to Buddy mine just last night and uh, I hadn't talked to him for a while and really fit guy. We're both in our 50s. And, you know, I like to think, I, I, you know, I exercise every day and I I take care of myself and and as as does he. And I told him, he said, uh, you know, because. He and his whole family got it, which we're going to go to that in a second. But uh, it's odd to me that I, I had a a, a family, three individuals in their 60s, all relatively healthy individuals. One person, unfortunately, uh, passed away. One person got extremely ill for several months and one person never got it. Now, we don't know whether they were false negatives or, you know, that's a whole nother, you know, discussion but it's such a bizarre a bizarre disease to me and and we can't make sense of it and anybody who has all the answers run away from that person because (laughs) they don't know what they're talking about if they think they have all the answers I mean what do you think about that there's so many things out social media and whatever everybody's
1: got an opinion what what are your thoughts on that you know, number one, you know, Dr. Mike, I got to say, you don't look like you're in your 50s, not to build up your ego or anything. So. <laughs> it's the camera. It's a special camera. <laughs> but the, the, the truth is this, is that, you know, the media can be helpful, but it can be hurtful at sometimes times, too. And I think it has been confusing for many individuals. And a classic example is now, Dr. Mike, tell me if you heard this. Are they Asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, I mean, this terminology is just can be very confusing. I, I don't even know what the difference is. And then when you talk about how many days do you need to be in quarantine, well, it's 14, but then it could be 10 if you do this, if you do that. And this is not for people like me and you, Dr. Mike. We're talking about the general public, and it can be very, very confusing. In testing now, you know, you try to teach testing to the general public. Is it an antigen? Is it an antibody? Is it the PCR? I mean, people are confused. And the most common example I could think of right now about the media was when we're talking about vaccines. And, you know, I am on the bandwagon of getting everyone vaccinated. I want herd immunity in the right way. But when those two individuals in the UK got anaphylaxis, I mean, that was the news, you know what I mean? For any time you open the, the, the station. And it scared a lot of individuals. And I think that the media needs to be Careful and select in how they choose things, but beyond just the media, you know, even the CDC, the World Health Organization, it just seems that we weren't on the same page when when it comes to uh, this virus and this pandemic. So I think in the future, hopefully, we can be better communicators. We can have a simple message, and I think you know, Doctor Mike, one of the biggest skills in trying to be a good doctor is not just how much knowledge you have, but communicating just to the general public. It's actually tougher than you think.
0: Yeah, you know, and I feel for for people uh, in the media, and I, I, I think we have a responsibility to deliver adequate, accurate information, but I oftentimes feel like it's done in a way that is meant to get ratings and not to really create a sense of, 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 awareness versus panic. Those are two distinctly different words. Awareness yeah. and panic are two, and I've seen examples of both. And I just think that's not very nice. I'm a doctor and it it frustrates and panics me a bit. Imagine what the general public must think when you're throwing this stuff out there. There's really an element of irresponsibility there. I think we need to be aware. We need to be informed, but I don't think panic to create interest is the way to go about it. And I, I, you touched on that
1: hundred percent. And you know what, Dr. Mike, let me, let me say this. My wife, she's a rheumatologist and I feel bad for her because when this pandemic first started, you know, everyone in the family dog was on hydroxychloroquine and my wife, You know, rheumatologist deals with people with lupus and people with other room diseases. There was a shortage out there, you know, and then for a short period of time, there was a medication called colchicine and you use it for gout. And there was a little data about that. And all of a sudden, my my patients with gout couldn't get their colchicine. So the media people, doctors don't realize is that when you hype certain medications up, certain supplements up, I mean, there is a secondary effect that happens that people don't realize,
0: Yeah. You know, interesting. My, my sister has rheumatoid arthritis and so she, and has dealt with it for years and steroids and you know, the whole nine yards. Uh, she was like, they're not really, they're kind of telling me I may not be able to get a lot of my, my hydroxychloroquine and I said, you know, relax, we're, they're just rationing because of what's been stirred up in the media, but you'll be fine. But it's, it really is, uh, it's outrageous. I mean, even my buddy yesterday, I was talking to him and he was like, asking me, he's like, what about this? What? I said, listen, the, those were, those were literally minutes in time where someone thought, Hey, maybe this Mm -hmm. is something. And then someone took that and ran out and screamed it to the world and it caused a lot of panic. So, all right. So I got, I have to ask you this. I'm talking to my buddy last night and he's telling me that he and his wife and his kids, the whole family got COVID. Yep. How does that resonate with you? And does that ring a bell?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that, it. it. <laughs> that, that was a great alley Dr. Raj, right there. Um, yeah. So, you know, Dr. Mike, um, in around end of July, beginning of August, uh my my wife and i have three kids i have a at the time a nine-month-year-old her name is sadie i have a five-year-old named aiden and he has autism and i have mina my seven-year-old and we all got COVID. and the story was is that we really didn't know if it was my wife she's a physician or was it me because you know the saying you go to the barber shop enough eventually you'll get a haircut And my (laughs) wife got the COVID haircut, you know, and but the way that the symptoms presented was actually in my nine month old, you know, uh, it really was nothing. Uh, She had a little runny nose and it could be a plethora of common cold viruses and we didn't think anything about it. But then around July, my daughter, Mina, seven year old, was going to go to a camp and my wife and I and she. Just wasn't looking good. Just kind of achy, and we didn't want to put any family at risk, so we sent Mina to get tested. And when my wife brought my daughter to get tested, they wanted to put that little nasal swab up her nose, and she was like, "Hell no!" Yeah, I was. She didn't didn't say (laughs) hell. And so when she was crying, uh, my wife, who was there, said, "I'll I'll get tested too." And little did we know that was two hundred and fifty bucks for that test. But she got tested, and. here's the sad part. At the time, it took five days to get the results. So five days later, wow. my, my daughter and my wife were positive. And, you know, my wife was running at the time with the mask, but it's just that feeling of almost tunnel vision. She was scared. She came home, you know, we had to tell my daughter because we had, you know, take, we had to, you know, say, Hey, no cam for you this year. And there was tears and crying. Uh. And of course, I told my work, I got tested. And of course, cause I'm lucky I'm part of a university tested in two seconds. Results come right back. I'm positive. And there you go. And at that time, you know, we didn't know much about the virus, where things were going, but, you know, someone loves us. You know, we all did well. We all had very, very, very mild symptoms. And, you know, before I got my vaccine, they tested my antibody. So if I had the antibody, they weren't going to give me the vaccine appropriately. And my, I don't have immunity. So, I know there were recent studies outside, you know, showing well, how long does the immunity last. And I'm going to tell everyone, I know the magic number. Everyone wants to focus on six months, but don't hyper focus on that. But that immunity doesn't last forever. And I ended up getting my vaccine about three weeks ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, the truth is never in medicine has it been more appropriate to say we don't know. Yeah, Be- because quite <laughs> honestly, we we really don't. Um, let me ask you a question. So. Yeah. I'm curious what you think, because I was saying this, like, I know everything like months ago, I was telling my friends and colleagues, they were like, you know, shut up. I said, this is going to be the best flu season we've ever had in our lives, not because of the vaccine, but because everybody is doing what we are supposed to do when we're sick. You know, how many times everybody's listening out there, Dr. Raj, I'm sure you you can agree. How many times have we been out with our friends or family and someone's kind of sniffling or congested and you're like, hey, you're not feeling good? Yeah, I just got a little cold. That ain't happening now. (laughs) Anybody who like sneezes in public, you look at them and like you're like running for the hills. So I think, do you feel like really the flu season is almost non-existent this year? I hate to use that word, but. Because of the social
1: measures and the and the the you know all of the hygienic measures and what do you think? Yeah, you know when I was doing some interviews for the news, I would say in like uh like late September, early October, when you should start get thinking about the flu vaccine. What was the buzzword? The twin demics. It sounded like some kind <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of Walking Dead movie title, you know. And I would go on the news and talk about the twin demics. And you know, it it is scary if it did happen, but you know, you're a hundred percent correct. You know, I think that we were very lucky. For those who don't know how we create our flu vaccine, is that we take the data and information from the opposite side of the world when they have their flu season before we do. And we've been lucky. They had very uh, mild strains. They didn't have scary things like H1N1 this year, thank God. And we have a milder flu season. And in general, you hit the The nail on the head, Dr. Mike, you know, the things we're doing now is the same things you do for the common cold, the same things you do for the flu, and it's good. And to really show how what a curveball, you know, COVID-19 is, is that we thought we could get ahead of this during the summertime. We thought all the heat here in wonderful California would kill all the virus, but it really didn't. And then all of a sudden, Why is it getting worse now? You can't pick the worst time to flare up for COVID 19. It's winter. People are together. People are caroling out loud without a mask, you know, and then it's one vacation after another. And, you know, I'm always not the one to point fingers because everyone. Has their own story of why they traveled or didn't travel. I wanna be that guy, but it's just been poor timing. And that's why we're into stuck in this horrible like surge right now, especially here in my hometown in Los Angeles. We're getting kicked pretty hard.
0: Well, I gotta tell you, what's kicked me pretty hard, and I've always sort of struggled with it a bit is sleeping. And yeah. uh, you know, as a primary care guy, Oftentimes patients come in and you kind of have to go through that first layer of the onion, as I call it, which is they don't come in saying, Doc, I'm stressed. They come in saying, you know, Doc, I have this rash or Doc, I feel itchy or I've had more headaches or my stomach has been upset. Then as you peel back the layer of the onion and your eyes start watering, you recognize it's stress, it's anxiety, it's lack of sleep. And I, I'm praying that you agree to come back and talk to us just on sleep. And I will promise my <laughs> listeners that you will without even getting your approval, because I need to hear my, I'm just being, you know, selfish, but if you could tell me for a second, what, because again, I know you're boarded on, on four levels, one being sleep. What, what have you seen in, in terms of COVID and sleeping and, and the impact? I, what is, what is that like?
1: Sure. You know, I I had an interview recently about this. It was one of my favorite interviews. And number one, my patients, they've just been dreaming more. And we talk about these dreams. These are going to be vivid dreams. These are going to be dreams that they actually remember. And sometimes it could actually be nightmares. So when we talk about why, why is this happening? Why are people dreaming more during a pandemic? A couple of reasons. They did a study that showed during the pandemic we have right now, Total sleep time has increased in the United States by 20%. So, the more time you have to sleep, the more time you have to dream. <laughs> also, that all my patients, well, a majority of my patients, they're going to bed even later and they're waking up way late in the morning. They're all a bunch of night owls now. Everyone is going to be a night owl. And what happens when someone tells me they're having more dreams? based upon our sleep schedule, we get most of our REM-like dreams in the morning. REM dreams are vivid, and those are the ones that are kind of like nightmares. So this is the reason why we're having nightmares, why we're having more dreams. And it's not surprising because they did studies when we had that horrible tragedy at the World Trade Center. During that period of time, people were having more nightmares than everything. So you know what am I seeing? I'm seeing more people who are having insomnia. That's just multifactorial. This insomnia could be because of the fact that there's stress, there's anxiety, there's depression. And even the medications we use for depression can cause insomnia. We're having people, whether it's a patient or whether it's gonna be a healthcare provider like you and me, we're getting anxiety and PTSD. And that's a huge thing I'm thinking about right now. And just on another note, you know, we've been joking about weight, throughout this pandemic. And I think one of the phrases that puts a smile on my face is that a lot of people gained the COVID-19, you know what I mean, the 19 pounds. And, you know, one of the uh, sleep disorders that's affected 15 to 20 million Americans is called obstructive sleep apnea. And with the weight gain we're having now, I just wonder where that's going to pan out when we start uh, getting a chance to, you know, diagnose and dive into it again. But sleep definitely took a big shot When we talk about this pandemic.
0: Yeah, you know, I talk to people all the time. And, you know, initially when they were talking about who was the most vulnerable and they were saying the elderly and comorbid conditions and all of these things, I honestly, and I may be wrong, who am I, what do I know, I feel that. First of all, the next three to five to seven to 10 years, we are going to learn so much about this disease. It's going to be fascinating. There are going to be volumes and volumes and volumes of of things. And I'm sure your name is going to be on some big (laughs) volume of sleep and COVID. But I think we are going to look back and we are going to find out that it wasn't necessarily the elderly. It wasn't necessarily the comorbid, although, of course, they are high risk. I'm not saying that. I think it is going to be obesity. Yep. And poor level of fitness. This to me is a disease, not entirely. And you commented on this a a big part. It is a respiratory illness. It's impact. It's inflammatory impact on the, on the respiratory system. We know with sleep apnea, we know with people who are obese, they have poor ventilatory capabilities. And when that happens, you are at a risk. And I really feel like when we look back and, you know, it's already being talked about, the United States has the most cases, the most deaths, the most issues with this, that, and the other. I, You know, we talk about it all the time and let's not just leave any stone unturned here. We have the biggest issues with obesity. We have the biggest issues with it goes on and on and on. I think there's a direct correlation there. And I think we're going to look back and learn that, hey, the best thing you could have done for yourself was not gain that kevin 19 was to lose COVID 19. you yeah. know get yourself in a healthier place both from mentally physically
1: fitness weight you name it i mean what do you think about that because well, i'm gonna, you know, i'm I, dragging you down with me if no, i go down no man so number one i had this conversation with my wife she's a rheumatologist and you know people who have who are obese they have that extra adipose tissue there were studies that show they have higher levels of inflammatory markers. It's not a secret. And that's why, you know, obesity plays a role when we talk about pain and all these, you know, other diseases aside from COVID. But you are right. You know, when I talk to you right now and we talk about COVID, I just close my eyes and think about my patients I saw in the ICU yesterday. And you're right. They are overweight. They are obese, you know, and these are things that, if there's anything you could work on to help prevent get disease, this is something that's easier said than done. But yes, work on that diet, work on that exercise. And it definitely does make a difference when we talk about that. And that's where I think that sleep and being overweight, there is a correlation there. There There's a correlation where if you have insomnia at night, I'm sure just by instinct, when you're up late, you're not grabbing Avion water and celery. I'm sure when you're up right. late, you're grabbing there are Cool Ranch Doritos and tacos, tacos. But on top of that, from a medical standpoint, there are many hormones that are in play. And let me get just a little dorky that in people who have insomnia, the two weight hormones that jump to mind are called leptin and ghrelin. Leptin stands with the letter L. L stands for lose weight. And when you're sleeping, you get more secretion of leptin to help lose that weight. When you have insomnia, when you have multiple awakenings and arousals, you get the G. The G stands for ghrelin, which is gain weight. So all these hormones, there's some science behind this. And I'll agree clinically, you know, uh, the risk factors that we've already determined, obesity is one of the highest ones. I agree with you, Dr. Mike.
0: You know, I, I can't thank you enough. I, I, I have to talk to you at, so we got to bring you back to talk about sleep because <laughs> my God, it's been, I mean, I'm a big, I am working on a book now that will hopefully be coming out at the end of the year. I did a whole chapter on sleep and I preach sleep hygiene to my patients. That's a whole nother volume of conversation, <laughs> okay. but uh, listen, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, and I honestly this is from my heart. I thank you for what you're doing because I have friends, I have colleagues, I have people who are in that hospital. And I want this actually this thanks to God to anybody who's out there uh, who's dealing with this on the front line. And quite honestly, anybody in the world, anybody who happens to be listening to this, this is just a bad thing. And it is unfortunate and it pains me. And it gives me this sort of swelling in my throat when I think about it. But we're gonna get through this And with the help of of Dr. Raj and his staff and all of the people out there, uh, from nurses to doctors, to staff, to people in that hospital, when they walk in, these guys are are doing a a fantastic, great deed. And and I thank everyone. And uh, Dr. Raj, where do we find you? Because people are going to be knocking down your door.
1: (laughs) Well, Well, before I tell you where I am, Dr. Mike, thank you for letting me be on the show. And my compliment to you is you're a cool dude. I like talking to you. (laughs) Thank you. I feel better. And and it's great to have a break from the ICU to come do this. It really is a nice change of pace because it is stressful. And it's sometimes it's nice to kind of just relax and and have somebody who understands what we're going through. But if you want to find me, um, two things. I would say, check out my podcast And if one day Dr. Mike is nice enough, maybe he could appear on (laughs) my podcast one day. (laughs) I'm in. And uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram. You could just put Dr. Raj, find my handles, Twitter, all the things are out there. And if you are a medical student or in the medical field, I am super, super proud of my book series. It is called Beyond the Pearls because I really want everyone in life to go beyond what don't settle. Go beyond, and this is a book of cases throughout medicine, OB/GYN, PE, surgery, psychiatry, sleep. So check it out, okay?
0: Thank you. Well, there we have it, uh, Dr. Raj Dasgupta. I could talk to this guy forever, and then, in fact, now we all have his handle, so we can do, we can uh, get a hold of him. I mean, we got to bring this guy back on and talk about sleep. Thank you. Thanks so much. Okay, now it's time for our weekly Rx. I was trying to frantically think about all the things I wanted to talk about, but I'm going to keep this simple. We didn't even get to the sleep thing, which is driving me nuts. Uh, But I got to tell you, uh, the first tip I want people to do is do what you're supposed to do. We all know what that is. You know, my, my mom and dad taught me when I was a little kid, wash your hands, you know, don't touch your face, exercise, eat healthy. We all know right from wrong and i'm going to just i don't want to go into it but i just want to say stop and think and be mindful and do what you're supposed to do. And number 2, educating yourself with caution. I think it's important. Look at the source you're getting thing from. Ask various people. Don't just rely on one particular source. This is a time to educate yourself. This is a time to not panic. The source of information and using this time to take care of yourself mentally physically, and really, really help yourself and your loved ones and actually everybody get through this this terrible thing we're all experiencing. Well, that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe for free, download and listen to Wellness Inc. with me, Dr. Mike Moreno on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Follow me on social media at The 17 Day Diet. Take care, guys. Thank you. This podcast has been produced by stage 29 productions for entertainment purposes. Only the contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk for medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation. Please consult a physician or other trained professional. This podcast does not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries promotional sponsors or advertising agencies the views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent for more information please go to stage 29.tv